Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're speaking on October 11th, 2022, four weeks from Election Day. We are in the home stretch here. November 8th is fast approaching, preceded by absentee balloting, which is already beginning, and early voting, of course, coming up just before Election Day. New York is one of the key battleground states for control of the U.S. House of Representatives, where Democrats currently hold a very narrow majority, but are expected to lose it this year following a longtime trend of a president's party losing many seats in their midterm election cycle. Democrats believe they have a shot to maintain the majority, in part because of a variety of recent moves by President Joe Biden and the Democrat-controlled Congress, as well as the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade national abortion protections and ongoing Republican threats and attacks on the Democratic process. Republicans are hopeful about flipping many seats across the country, including several in New York and thus the chamber overall, and also trying to take control of the U.S. Senate through this year's elections. The GOP is banking not only on that longtime trend I mentioned, but also on American dissatisfaction with Democrats who are in power, inflation, crime, and a variety of other issues. New York will now have 26 seats in the House, all reconfigured due to the population trends of the 2020 census and the very messy redistricting process, the details of which I won't go into now. And there are a number of closely watched general election contests between Democrats and Republicans in the state, almost all of them outside very blue New York City. But they have great consequences for the five boroughs, for the rest of the state, and for the country. One of those races to watch here is for the new 17th Congressional District of New York in the Hudson Valley, where my guest today is the Republican nominee. Mike Lawler, an assembly member, is with me today. He is facing Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, who represents the current 18th Congressional District, but after that redistricting process, is running in the new 17th Congressional District, which includes a chunk of his current district, including his home. This race is in a district that Joe Biden won by 10 points over Donald Trump in 2020, but it's seen by some as just a lean blue district or a likely blue district, and by some as a toss-up. Adding intrigue about this race is the fact that Representative Sean Patrick Maloney is the chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, which runs the Democrats' House campaign efforts. The new 17th Congressional District is, as I said, in New York's lower Hudson Valley, and it spans the Hudson to the east and the west. It includes parts or all of Westchester, Rockland, Putnam, and Dutchess counties. It borders both New Jersey and Connecticut, and it has a very interesting race here this year. So let's bring on the Republican nominee in the 17th Congressional District, Assemblymember Mike Lawler. Assemblymember, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to a lively discussion about the race. Um, You know, this is one where I think a lot of Washington prognosticators uh, aren't sure uh, yet uh, whether or not they feel this is a a real race. But I can tell you on the ground, uh, having lived here my whole life um, and frankly, having flipped a two to one Democratic district just two years ago in the state assembly, uh, this is a real race. Mm. 
in some auspicious timing. We've had this discussion for the podcast here on the books for a couple of weeks, but just this morning, there's a New York Times article, I'm sure widely read around New York State and the country about how New York has emerged as a battleground state for a number of House seats, and your race is featured prominently there. So there's a lot of attention on this race and a number of others around New York. Zoom out for us here for a second. We'll get into your background and your platform in just a second. But what, how would you capture for people sort of what's at stake in the battle for control of the House? Um, it's obviously they're going to remain a, a pretty narrow Democratic uh, majority or Republicans could take the majority either by a narrow margin or a wide margin. Um, what's at stake well, obviously, you know, the Republicans only need to flip five seats to get the majority. And so the likelihood of Democrats being able to hold on uh, is very slim, given given the historical uh, nature of, of midterm elections, but also given the circumstances. And New York uh, really is going to play a pivotal role. Uh, you know, you mentioned the redistricting process at the beginning and, and Sean Patrick Maloney, uh, was right in the thick of it. He sent a memo just days before the Democrats released the maps, basically calling for Republicans to be gerrymandered into oblivion. And uh, ultimately, obviously, as we all know, the courts uh, threw out the maps and drew uh, what I would argue is a fair map. Um, and, and that's why this district is uh, competitive. Uh, under the Cook PBI ratings, it's a D plus three. Um, New York has uh, potentially Republicans can take between 10 and 12 seats um, this year. And that obviously uh, would give the majority to the Republicans just out of New York alone. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that is why, uh, you know, the New York Times focused on it this morning. It's why national Republicans are focusing on New York. Uh, you think back to 2010, um, Republicans had the most gains in New York of any state uh, when they picked up six congressional seats. Mm. So there's a real opportunity uh, here again this year uh, for, for that to be the case and for New York to play a pivotal role uh, in Republicans taking back uh, the House. Uh, Joe Biden's going to be the president, obviously, come the new year. Let's just say for the discussion here that Democrats keep control of the U.S. Senate. Maybe it's still a 50-50 Senate with the vice president breaking the tie. Uh, that's not a given, but let's just say for argument here, why should it matter to voters to have Republicans take a majority of the House? Why, in your in your perspective, is that essential for for voters to to want that sort of balance in the in the Congress and that check on the Democratic president? Some people might fear that that would grind everything in Washington to even more of a halt than it's been in the past. Um, what What's the argument for why that's important? Well, I think the reality of our, our country and our government is that one party rule doesn't work. Uh, you need balance and you need common sense. And the way that our government was designed uh, was for things to kind of move slower uh, than sometimes they do. Um, and, and that's so that the majority does not overwhelm the minority. Uh, you know, minority rights politically have always been a big part of how our, our government is established. And so I think when you look at the dynamics here, this is the first time ever that Democrats control everything in Washington, everything in Albany and everything in New York City all at once. And we've seen the results a 41 year high in inflation, five dollars a gallon uh, on the national average for the first time ever for gas. Uh, you look at surging crime 
uh, across New York City and into the suburbs, even landing on the doorstep of Lee Zeldin just the other day. Uh, you look at our poorest southern border and the massive inflow of not just illegal immigration, uh, but human trafficking and drug trafficking. Uh, we're experiencing 300 uh, uh, overdose deaths a day in the United States. Um, a lot of it tied to the fentanyl that is coming across our southern border. Uh, and so the Democrats own it. They own everything uh, in Washington, everything in Albany and everything in New York City. And voters want balance. And so at a minimum, what a House uh, Republican majority can do is stop some of the lunacy uh, that's been going on um, and really force the Biden administration. Uh, and if the Democrats keep, uh, keep control of the Senate, uh, force a more bipartisan approach uh, to policymaking, uh, to budgeting, uh, and getting us back on the path uh, that we need to be on. I have one of the most bipartisan records in Albany. Um, and, you know, for me- say, say, say more about that. Yeah, go ahead. You're, you're, so you're, yeah. finish, you're finishing your first and what looks like only uh, term in the state assembly, who knows what the future holds, but, um, but uh, you're, you're finishing your first and only term in the state assembly, being in the Republican minority in the state assembly is a, is a tough place to be at times, but uh, what's your bipartisan record there? Yeah, no, listen, uh, being in the minority uh, can be a very humbling experience uh, for sure. But my objective has been first and foremost to represent the people who elected me and to get things done. And so I have uh, among the most bills passed of any Republican in the assembly uh, during my two two term uh, years in in uh, Albany. Uh, but in addition to that, you know, I voted with Carl Hasty, the Democratic speaker, 81 percent of the time. Uh, I voted with Will Barkley, the Republican leader, 91 percent of the time. So there was nine percent of the time where I disagreed with my own party. Um, and and again, my focus is on representing my constituents and getting things done. And I think. You know, part of the problem and part of the reason that I decided to run here is that my opponent, Sean Patrick Maloney, is voting 100 percent of the time with Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. You can't tell me in a district like this, which is the suburbs of New York City, uh, where you have a lot of Republican elected officials on the local level. It's a very it's very much a swing district. Sue Kelly used to represent this area. Ben Gilman. Um, you can't tell me that there's not one thing that you could disagree with Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi on. I mean, give me a break. That's either total laziness or you are extreme left. And and as and and that's what I've found with Maloney. Uh, you know, how he came in a decade ago is not where he is today. Uh, mm. and I think voters see that. I think Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden would probably take strong exception with be ca being called extreme left. <laughs> Don't you think? The poli but the, here's the problem. The policies that they have enacted are very much to the left. And well, yeah. you can't, you know, when when you are increasing spending by four trillion dollars uh, in just 21 months, you can't say, oh, no, that's a centrist position. It's not. It's not. Um all right. We, we skipped over a little bit going into some of your background. So why don't you give people a snapshot? Of, I mentioned you're obviously in the assembly, um, but we'll give people a little flavor of just sort of your background before you got elected to the assembly. You, you have your own small business, a consulting, mm -hmm. a political consultancy. Uh, you've worked in, in politics in various ways. What are some of the highlights of that? 
career? Yeah, so, you know, born and raised in Rockland County. I've lived here my whole life. My family's been here for over 100 years. Uh, I went to Manhattan College. Uh, when I was down at Manhattan, that's how I got started in politics. I worked for John McCain on his 2008 presidential race uh, as an intern. Uh, and that's where I met Ed Cox and, and went to work at the state Republican Party uh, right out of college. Uh, worked my way up to becoming executive director when we defeated uh, uh, David Weprin in the special election to replace Anthony Weiner in Congress with Bob Turner mm-hmm. and um, you know, served as executive director to the beginning of 2014 when I went and ran Rob Astorino's campaign for governor against Andrew Cuomo um, and ultimately went to work for Rob in the Westchester County Exec's office uh, for about a year and a half before going out on my own and uh, forming a political consulting firm with a a business partner of mine. I served as a a, a registered lobbyist uh, representing the operating engineers and some of the natural gas companies. So I was primarily focused on energy and transportation issues. Uh, And locally, I served as deputy town supervisor in my town the town of Orangetown for uh, three years before I ran uh, for the assembly in 2020. And, um, you know, that was a, a district two to one Democratic, 22,000 more Democrats than Republicans. I was running against a 14 year incumbent uh, and we were the only Republican pickup uh, that year. I outperformed Donald Trump by five points uh, on the ballot and, um, you know, held on uh, by about twenty six hundred votes. So you've run in these in these dis- in these purple districts. Uh, you are needing to persuade some large number of uh, independent voters, at the very least, if not some moderate to conservative Democrats. How do do you, do you have a way that you describe to people where you're at on the sort of political spectrum? You know, there's all this discussion, as you mentioned, far left. Uh, there's obviously the sort of Trump Republicans, there's the more moderate Republicans, there's the sort of traditional establishment Republicans. You mentioned Ed Cox, uh, the former chair of the state party. Um, Do you have a way that you sort of describe yourself on the political spectrum and or sort of role models in politics that you say, hey, that guy's, you know, that that guy or gal is the politics that I sort of follow in the footsteps of or aspire to? So, you know, I've always looked at it very simply that I'm my own person and I I have my own views uh, on a given issue and I'm certainly not shy about them. But the objective to me, especially in being in elected office, uh, is to represent your constituencies and to to fight for your district. And so the way I have approached politics uh, is not to be, oh, I'm a I'm a staunch Republican or, you know, I'm a moderate, but to focus in on on the issues. Uh, I, I don't think the labels matter as much. I mean, my opponent obviously is out there uh, calling me MAGA Mike and uh, all these ridiculous uh, names. But the the reality to me is it's about the voters and the issues. And I try to be uh, pragmatic, uh, realistic about the situation and seek compromise and get things done and advance the ball forward. And so, you know, I, I would consider myself, you know, a conservative Republican. But um, at the end of the day, it really is about advancing the ball and getting things done for for your constituents. And so one of the people that I've long admired and respected uh, in in politics is Pete King. Uh, I think Pete King did a phenomenal job representing not just his district, but the state of New York uh, and really fighting to get things done, uh, whether it had to do with homeland security, whether it had to do uh, with, you know, 
9-11 victims uh, and first responders, uh, whether it had to do with, you know, making sure that New York uh, was getting its fair share of uh, aid, especially during Sandy. Um, You know, that's somebody who who stood up not on party, but on principle and on the issues and and worked uh, across the aisle uh, when needed and when necessary uh, and stood stood firm when when uh, necessary. And so I think. Um, you know, if there was any, you know, New York member, uh, if you will, to to mm-hmm. look at how I would try to uh, emulate myself, it would be peaking. Now, this is this has been a shift for people like Ed Cox and, and others who, um, you know, were troubled by the rise of Donald Trump and then sort of. <laughs> to different degrees, sort of had to give in, had to accommodate, had to sort of see, hey, he's got, you know, he's tapped into something here in the Republican base that we haven't been tapped into. And, uh, you know, we don't like some of the way that he acts. We don't like that he lies all the time. You know, we don't like some of these things, but they've sort of figured that, figured that you know, Trump was such a powerful political force, they need to sort of get on board uh, in some way. Then you have people like you mentioned your first political job with John McCain, who's obviously passed away, but, you know, um, never, never quite got there. Um, how do you navigate this? I mean, in this district, in this 17th district, I can't imagine John Donald Trump is still the sort of figurehead of the Republican Party is, is popular in this district. I don't know what your internal polling is saying, but. How are you navigating sort of Donald Trump remaining as the leader of the Republican Party in the way that he is? And and at at this point, seemingly a likely 2024 presidential candidate. And as you said, sort of really being in tune with this district that you're hoping to represent. Well, I think for for most people, uh, they're not focused on Donald Trump. When I'm out campaigning, that's not what I get asked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, Sean Patrick Maloney. Uh, will continue to try to make him a focal point um, because the Democrats right now can't defend their own record and they can't defend uh, where the economy is and where crime is. And so, you know, they'll they'll obviously try to make it about Donald Trump. I, I think for most people um, and, and within the Republican Party, um, it was about the policies and, you know, what uh, was being done uh, under the administration with respect to uh, the economy, with respect to trade, with respect to immigration, with respect to uh, energy. And a lot of people supported the policies, uh, which is why I think a lot of people, uh, even if they didn't like his personality or the things he said or the the mean tweets, um, you know, a lot of people uh got behind him that maybe otherwise would not have, you know, uh, 10 years ago or or, or so, um, you know, so the Republican Party, obviously, I think for a lot of people, it really came down to to the policies that were being enacted uh, that people have long uh, pushed for. The other thing I would say is at the end of the day, despite what, you know, political prognosticators or the media or others think, the reality is voters, voters chose him in the Republican primary. And ultimately, in 2016, they chose him to be president of the United States. Hmm. And that, in in reality, was not by accident. People were very frustrated with what was going on. Uh, they, you know, they wanted change. He certainly represented a lot of change, <laughs> um, and, and both in tone and, and, and style and substance. Uh, but I think for, for folks uh, now, uh, the the objective is to to get 
kind of uh, a restoration of balance uh, in government, and and that's why I'm running. So you know, so give me give me. Um, he's certainly he's certainly out there, but it's not I, it's not something where. Uh, and I can just tell you from being on the campaign trail, it's not what I get asked about at all. Yeah. When you um, when you are talking to people, let's get to a couple of the maybe we'll come back to some of these larger themes in the in the Republican Party and politics. But I want to come back to some of the policies that you're running on um, a couple of these top priorities, things like inflation, things like uh, public safety. Uh, what are a couple of things on the federal level that you do on these top issues that you're running on? Can you give people a, a sense of the sort of specifics of your platform here? Absolutely. So inflation obviously is is issue number one. I mean, you know, my wife went to the store the other day and she paid six dollars for a gallon of milk, you know, sixteen dollars for a package of chicken cutlets, twenty nine dollars for a small box of diapers for our five month old baby girl. And you look at these prices and they're unsustainable. You know, a lot of people, if you're a senior living on fixed income, if you're a young person, if you're a working family and you have two kids, three kids, you know, a mortgage, car payments, this is tough. And so inflation is critically important to get under control. And I I think it starts on two fronts. Number one, we have to cut spending. Uh, The Biden administration has increased spending by over four trillion dollars. The Inflation uh, Expansion Act, uh, which is what it really should have been called, um, did nothing to reduce inflation. Uh, In fact, it's negatively impacting GDP. Uh, They raised taxes on middle class families in the Hudson Valley. Uh, So this this was not a good bill. Um, And it really was about getting, you know, a slimmed down version of Build Back Better uh, passed before election day. Um, sorry, I just got to jump in. When you say they raise taxes, what is, what do you, I'm not sure what you're, what you mean by that raising taxes for families in the Hudson Valley. According to multiple reports, they, they increased, uh, the tax rates, uh, that will impact families making between, uh, 200,000 and $500,000. And if you're in the Hudson Valley, uh, where we pay among the highest property taxes in America, uh, and you're a fa- you know a family making two hundred thousand dollars. You know what that is? That's a cop, and a teacher, and those are middle class families. Uh, if you have a mortgage, if you have uh, car payments, student loans, uh, children, you know two three children, you know you're not wealthy by any stretch. And so uh, those you know doing that in the middle of a recession. Uh, to me is just illogical. Even even Barack Obama a decade ago agreed you don't raise taxes in the middle of a recession. And so, you know, to me, it was just a a really bad policy. Um, But you got to get spending under control. Secondarily, we have to get back on the path to energy independence. Uh, Joe Biden came in and almost immediately cut domestic energy production. Um, And that has obviously contributed uh, greatly uh, to the spike in uh, gasoline prices, home heating costs. Um, The reality is, and I support renewable energy, and I support the effort to get to net zero carbon emissions. I voted for the Environmental Bond Act. That'll be on the ballot this year uh, because we all want clean air and clean water and open space preservation and and increase investment in green technology. But the reality is that the technology is not there today uh, to produce enough electricity to meet the demand. And we need natural gas. that uh, the Democrats, Andrew Cuomo, shut down Indian Point. They stopped Dan Scammer. They've stopped Pipeline. 
plan to actually meet the demand. The governor of California literally, you know, two weeks ago said, uh, please don't charge your electric vehicles uh, between uh, 4 and 9 p.m. The grid can't sustain it. So how do you how do you plan on getting everybody to purchase electric vehicles and electrify the grid and, and cut off natural gas when the grid itself cannot mm-hmm. support it? And, and so I think we need a, a real uh, common sense approach to energy, uh, a balanced approach uh, that helps us get to where we want to go over the long term, uh, which is obviously to have net zero carbon emissions. But we need to be realistic and responsible about it. Mm-hmm. What about the pieces of the Inflation Reduction Act that are targeted exactly what you're talking about, the clean energy future, the tax credits, you know, lots of investments in sort of being able to execute on these goals that you're you're talking about? Do you like those parts of the Inflation Reduction Act? Look, in, in any bill, there's always going to be something you like, you know, obviously mm-hmm. reducing the, the cost of drug prices for seniors is is, is obviously a positive. Uh, but these bills are done this way so that you ram through really bad things uh, tied to some good things. And uh, I, I think on the whole, the point that I'm making is it's not just about investing in, in you know, green technology. We need to be realistic about how we get there, and you need natural gas. It has reduced carbon emissions 40% greater than oil and coal. Uh, It is clean, it is cheap, it is reliable, uh, and it will help then bring back manufacturing. It'll help grow the economy. It'll help reduce the cost of goods. Uh, You need energy for everything. You want to produce food, you need energy. So, And would you be in favor of of allowing fracking in in New York and and specifically in the 17th Congressional District? Yes. Uh, well, the 17th congressional district doesn't uh, have uh, isn't, isn't, in it. Isn't but ripe for the, that. Mm-hmm. It, but the I would absolutely support uh, fracking. Here's here's the problem, and this is why the Democrats are so backwards on this. You know, Joe Biden goes to the Saudis and basically begs for increased production of oil. We have more gas in the United States than anywhere in the world. Why wouldn't we, with our environmental standards and protections, want to be in control of the energy production and our own destiny and not be relying on other countries that, frankly, don't have the same standards that we have and that we're begging them to increase production and they have us over over a barrel and and we're saying, please, please, I mean, give me a break. It's it's so backwards. It's not even funny. And and so when it comes to things like fracking, you nothing you've seen gives you pause on that. That about about you raised the question of environmental standards and Look, we're and we're doing we're doing it throughout the country. Other parts mm-hmm. of the country are doing it. And by the way, in our neighboring state of Pennsylvania, they're doing it. And if mm-hmm. anybody thinks, ooh, just at the border, they stop. They don't come into New York. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> Let me ask you about um, just some recent bills that have been voted on. You, you obviously you seem like you would clearly be a no on the Inflation Reduction Act, correct? If you were in Congress, <laughs> I yeah. would have voted so, no. So there's been a number of other sort of big bills. Um, some of those bills that have passed the House have had several, if not more, Republican voting yes, including several in in New York. Um, are there any of those recent uh, bills that you've seen? People you hope to be your future colleagues uh, in New York vote with Democrats in the majority that you would also have been a yes on. I'm thinking about things like the um, bipartisan gun safety package that passed recently. There was obviously the bipartisan infrastructure law prior to that. 
Uh, there was a vote on marriage equality recently. Any of those where you would? No, have been- I, I definitely, I definitely would have been a yes on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. I would have been a yes on the the uh, marriage equality bill. Uh, I would have certainly considered uh, the the bipartisan gun safety bill. I I voted for a number of measures in Albany uh, that were bipartisan. Uh, you know, banning ghost guns, expanding uh, the extreme risk protection orders, also known as red, red flag laws. Uh, I voted to ban the purchase of um, uh, body armor uh, in the state. So there's a number of, of bills uh, from a bipartisan gun safety standpoint uh, that I voted for and so certainly would have uh, would have considered. But mm-hmm. I think, um, again, that's that goes to the difference between me and my opponent. You know, I'm willing to engage in uh, serious bipartisan negotiations. He's voted 100 percent of the time with party leadership. Um, so it's hard to say for him now to say that he's a centrist and he's bipartisan when there's nothing he can find that he can disagree with party leadership on. To be fair, Democrats are in power. The you know, again, the, the president's a moderate Democrat. If if you were if you were in a House majority with a Senate majority and a Republican president, I don't know how many times you'd be disagreeing with with them either. Do you think I mean you think you would you would be finding areas of disagreement, certainly? There's members of the Democratic conference that do disagree. Mm-hmm. So I think for him uh, to to say, well, I'm not going to disagree. I mean, you can and you should. By the way, what he said he was going to repeal the cap on salt. Why did he not demand that that be he's in party leadership? Why did he not demand that that be part of the Inflation uh, Reduction Act or any other bill uh, that was passed uh, to make sure this is the the cap on state and local tax reductions from uh, deductions from federal taxes that was in place until uh, under President Trump? It was it was capped um, as part of the the sweeping tax tax reforms of of the Trump years. Fair, fair point there in terms of a number of Democrats, including your opponent, who um, have talked about that as a priority, but not not gotten it done, removing that cap. Um, how about um, there's there's obviously been a lot of attention on abortion recently. This has been a, perhaps the main issue that your opponent is is attacking you on. Um, as opposed to abortion rights. Um, So why don't you clarify your stance on abortion rights and in doing that, come back to what this district wants. Is this an area where you feel like some of your conservative principles might not match up that well with the broader consensus in this district, but you're hoping overall voters in this district will elect you based on the sort of larger package of what you stand for and and being part of a a, a, a a check on the democratic powers as you were speaking about earlier yeah so you know sean patrick maloney has spent uh, pretty much the entirety of his campaign lying about my position and misleading voters uh because he really can't defend uh his record but he also can't defend his own position on abortion uh here's the reality right Uh, The Dobbs decision did not ban abortion. It reverted it to the states. And in the state of New York, abortion is legal up to the day of birth. And so Sean Patrick Maloney has said that I am for a national ban on abortion. That's false. I have said publicly numerous times on the record uh, that I am opposed to a national ban on abortion. This should not be dealt with at the federal level. It should be dealt with at the state level. Uh, Number two, 
Uh, he has said that I uh, am against uh, abortion cases of rape, incest or the life of the mother. That's false. I'm long been on record, including when I ran in 2020, uh, that I support uh, exceptions for rape, incest uh, and the life of the mother. Um, the reality for me is this. I I am personally pro-life. Uh, that's a position that was reaffirmed for me when my wife and I experienced a miscarriage uh two years ago. That's not something you get over. Uh, you know, you feel that loss. And I think any any woman that is uh, going through the difficult decision of uh, of whether or not to have an abortion, um, you know, struggles with that. It's not an easy decision because at the end of the day, you do understand that it is life and and, you know, with it, the potential of that life. So I, I don't judge anybody on this issue. I, I, I think people have sincere, honest uh, disagreements on it. Um, and, you know, what I don't support, though, uh, is what Sean Maloney supports and what he voted for just a few months ago in Congress, which is to expand abortion nationwide up until the moment of birth, allow non-doctors to perform abortions, uh, ban parental notification laws, uh, allow for gender selections with abortions, um, and Really, it, it, that is the extreme position. Uh, Eighty over eighty percent of Americans are opposed to late term and partial birth abortion. He supports it, and so when voters in this district understand uh, the difference uh, between my position uh, versus his, uh, voters side with me. And I think that's uh, because mine is a more reasonable position. And even when you talk to uh, women who are pro-choice. Um, you know, they agree that there should be some limitation on it. Uh, you know what that is. Obviously, reasonable people can disagree. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it 15 weeks? Is it 24 weeks? Is it eight weeks? Reasonable people can disagree on that. Mm -hmm. But you, you, you sounded in part of your answer, you pretty, sounded like someone who 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 sort of understands that the the virtually the only instances ever of, of what you call partial birth abortion is when the mother's life is is on the line or or there's some some something catastrophic is happening in the delivery of the child that there is there is or or there's some sort of you know emergency of some kind i mean people people are not going into delivery and then deciding partway through a delivery That's, to have, a, have an abortion well there are and and in new york state by changing the law with the reproductive health act which they did in 2019 they took away any liability on the provider uh, by performing an abortion after 24 weeks. So it, it, you know, the idea that no, it's, it's, it stops at 24 weeks and it's only if uh, the life of the mother is at risk, that's just not true. And I think, you know, Sean, Sean Maloney voted for a bill, uh, just this year that would allow it up to the day of birth nationwide. And everybody can go look at the bill and read the language. Uh, but it's pretty clear that that's what it does. Um, and there's, plenty of instances where we've seen that occur. So I think, you know, to, to for anybody to try to diminish that, as Maloney has tried to do just recently in an op-ed uh, and act as though that's, a, you know, a lie, it's not. It's it's a reality. And again, like I said, I don't think most people take this lightly. I don't think most people who are having an abortion uh, do so cavalierly. I, I, I empathize with the, the struggle and the decision uh, that they have to make. But I think 
again, reasonable people can have uh, a, a conversation about this and and determine where what what is the right area. And I think that's where that's where the conversation needs to go, um, as opposed to what Sean Patrick Maloney and the Democrats are are saying, which is basically no restriction up to the day of birth. Everything's fine. One of the other issues that's obviously top of the agenda here in this election, we've talked about inflation, cost of living, public safety, uh, abortion, also this this issue often broadly referred to as sort of threats to democracy, the the question of um, former President Trump trying to overthrow the results of the election, many Republicans um, supporting his his efforts to do that, Trump continuing to to lie about what happened in the election and a variety of other things. Um, a, a, would you have, would you be in favor of the, uh, electoral account act, um, B what, what do Republicans need to do here to sort of come back into the, the sort of mainstream of what Americans want, which is elections with integrity, winners and losers, both accepting the results, uh, you know, people sort of supporting the peaceful transfer of power, um, do you support that that bill? And how do how do you sort of get Republicans who seemingly like yourself, correct me if I'm wrong, don't don't want to be going down these paths of of sort of inciting an insurrection on the Capitol when the when the you know vote is being certified and and risking the vice president's life and things that we saw on January 6th, uh, 2021. Um, where, where do you stand on on these issues and, and that bill? So it's funny. Sean Maloney said that mainstream Republicans uh, believe that January 6th uh, was wrong and that Joe Biden won the election. And I've said from the very beginning that Joe Biden won the election and January 6th was wrong. I was the first person out with a statement on January 6th in the state legislature uh, condemning it. Um, And so I guess that makes me a mainstream Republican in Sean Maloney's uh, words. But the reality here is this. Um, our country is rooted in the peaceful transfer of power. Uh, it's what has separated us from other nations um, when it comes to our elections. You look at, you know, uh, look at Russia. Uh, there's no peaceful transfers of power there, uh, you know, and, and so I think that is fundamental uh, to our democracy. And I believe very strongly in that. Uh, I believe in uh, accepting the results of the election, uh, whether it goes your way or not. Uh, I've always tried to uh, live by a a quote in politics, humble in victory, gracious in defeat. And uh, you need to be gracious if you lose. Mm -hmm. And I certainly uh, was disappointed by what happened um, after the 2020 election, uh, because I think it was uh, destructive uh, to our, our democracy. Um, but I think the, the objective of every elected official, uh, needs to be to ensure, uh, that our elections are fair, uh, that they are safeguarded, um, and that everyone who is legally eligible to vote is able to vote. Uh, and, and so that for me is, is the foundation of what I, uh, believe is critically important. Um, and and that all of us as elected officials have an obligation uh, to ensure that. 
We're in our last couple of minutes here with Mike Lawler, the Republican nominee for Congress in New York's new 17th congressional district. He's facing Democrat Sean Patrick Maloney, the congressman who represents the current 18th district. And I won't go into all the details of the redistricting process now, but they are the Demo- Republican and Democratic nominees in the new 17th congressional district in the lower Hudson Valley. Uh, just a couple more minutes with Assembly Member Mike Lawler here, who's hoping to move to Congress in the new year after this year's elections. Uh, where do you stand on the Electoral Count Act? I believe it's called the Electoral Count Reform and Presidential Transition Improvement Act. Well, listen, I you know I would certainly be open to the legislation. I think again, the objective is to ensure that our democracy uh, endures and that we respect. Uh, the will of the voters and the peaceful uh, transfer of power. Um, you know, I'd have to look at the specifics of the bill, but the reality uh, for for all of us uh, is to ensure just that. You look back over, uh, you know, the last many presidential elections uh, and people in both parties have objected to, uh, you know, the electoral count. Uh, and uh, including Jamie Raskin, you know, people like that who objected to uh, George Bush and Donald Trump. And uh, on both sides, it needs to stop. We need to focus on uh, respecting the will of the voters and doing uh, the job that each of us are elected to do. You actually got into my next to last question here uh, when you say it needs to stop. Do, do you want to see former President Trump and, and many other Republicans stop talking about uh, false claims of fraud and, and you know, uh, a stolen election in 2020 and, and move on? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd like to see people move forward. Uh, elections are uh, not won based on talking about the past. They're won based on talking about what you're going to do uh, to help the voters. And so from my vantage point, uh, I would like to see folks focus on the future, uh, focus on what we can do to make our country better, uh, to improve the economy, to make our community safer, to secure our border, uh, to ensure parents have a, a say in their children's education. Uh, those are the issues that people are focused on uh, when I'm out talking to them, uh, either at doors or uh, at meet and greets or at public events. That's what people care about. And uh, obviously, we want to ensure uh, free, safe and fair elections. Um, and that certainly is is uh, within the purview of government. And we should do everything to to safeguard our elections. Uh, but the future is not uh, one based on rehashing the past. The future is one uh, based on presenting a vision uh, 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 about how best we can move our country forward. So in closing, uh, take us back to the 17th Congressional District here and the needs of what you hope are your constituents. Um, Anything that's sort of at the top of your list, whether it's bringing funding back to the district or a policy that we haven't gotten to, anything in closing that you'd want voters to sort of hear about here that are as top of mind for you? Um, Obviously, it's up to members of Congress often to try to bring funding back to their districts for particular uh, projects, whether it's infrastructure or other things. Um, but I don't know if there's anything else we haven't gotten to. Obviously, we're not even close to going down my full list here. So I'm sure you've got plenty of things that you're saying to voters that we haven't gotten to. But any uh, closing closing thought here before we say goodbye? Yeah, no, I, look, I appreciate the opportunity to speak uh, with you about these important issues. Uh, I, at the end of the day, uh, this is about the cost of living, 
uh, and public safety. Uh, and on every level right now, uh, our government is failing. Uh, we need to restore balance and common sense, and we need to take a measured approach to policymaking. Uh, our country was not designed uh, for one party rule. It was not designed for extremism. And unfortunately, that's what we're seeing. And my focus is to address the issues that really impact people on a daily basis. Whether you're a Republican, a Democrat or an independent doesn't really matter. Uh, all of us want a few basic things out of life. We want a good paying job to provide for our families. We want a quality education for our children. We want access to housing and health care. And we want to live in a safe neighborhood. That's what this campaign is about. That's why I'm running for Congress. Uh, and, and that's what I will focus on should I be elected on November 8th. Um, this, this election um, is, is critically important. And we need to really make sure uh, that the people, the people, not me, not Sean Maloney, uh, but the people who are electing us, uh, that their voices and their interests are heard and represented. And I, ho I do hope that people uh, listen to what I've said, listen to uh, what I've been saying on the campaign trail. Um, and really think about the need for change, um, change uh, ideologically, uh, but also in, in style and approach. Um, we need people who are willing to, to get things done, who are willing to put in the work uh, and are willing to sit down with people that they may strongly disagree with. Uh, but find commonality and a way to get things done. That's what I represent. That's how I've served in the last two years. And that's how I would serve as a member of Congress. All right. And that is Assemblymember Mike Lawler, who's running for Congress in the new 17th Congressional District in the lower Hudson Valley. He's a Republican nominee running against Democratic Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney. Uh, the 17th District, you can look it up at the Redistricting in You New York website, which gives you a great interactive feature to look at all the contours of the district. But uh, it is including parts or all of Westchester, Rockland, Putnam and Dutchess counties. Uh, beautiful territory that I enjoy visiting. And uh, and this will be one of the races to watch here in the final weeks before Election Day. We are speaking here on October 11th, just four weeks before November 8th, Election Day. I should know for anybody listening, leading up to the evening of the 12th, Mike Lawler and Sean Patrick Maloney are due to debate on the evening of the 12th in a debate uh, run by the League of Women Voters. So folks can find information on that online. Mike Lawler, thanks very much for joining me and be well. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. 